We are back for another episode of Your List, My Command. We're going to say the name this time. And I, Dave, have picked a great movie off of Derek's list of deep, deep shame. Well, we already know you've seen that you enjoyed this film. You said yes. a great, great movie. Yes. Oh. Derek, who is one of the biggest basketball fans that I know, somehow had never seen the seminal documentary on basketball, Hoop Dreams, from 1994. Stunning. Like, I remember when we talked about this, and it was before we made our list. I knew that you hadn't seen this, and you told me mm. this, and I was like, my mind was fucking blown. Like, I was just like, what? What? And then I forgot that you were, like, an infant when this came out, so it makes sense that you hadn't seen it. But this is one of the most well-known documentaries, maybe ever. Um, this is a movie that... Um, was shortlisted for Academy Awards. And I want to read you something, Derek. I don't know if you know the story behind this because there was there were a lot of rumors that this was going to be nominated not for Best Documentary, not just for that, but for Best Picture in 1994. And there was a huge controversy about this when it was not nominated. So when it was not nominated... Um, Roger Ebert, maybe the most well-known film critic of all time, who, by the way, both Siskel and Ebert had this as their number one movie of 1994. Above all narrative film. That's a young man named Arthur Agee there at a key moment in a key game in his senior year in high school in a wonderful new documentary named Hoop Dreams. And you may remember that we first talked about this movie way last January on the show. We right. saw a special preview here in Chicago before it went on to conquer every film festival, Sundance, Toronto, New York, and uh, we reviewed it early because we wanted to, to well, say how good it was well, and the, call attention to yeah, it. The reason we wanted to call attention to it is we were hoping it would get a theatrical release, which it is now getting nationwide. And that's what it deserves. This is an extraordinary film that covers six years in the lives of two talented inner-city kids from grade school to the first year in college as they dream of someday becoming basketball stars. As the movie opens, Arthur is being recruited by a Chicago suburban basketball powerhouse, St. Joseph High School. I, I can't promise you where you're going to go and if you're going to be a star, but I guarantee that I would help you get into the school that would be best for you. Arthur knows he's following in the steps of another inner-city Chicago kid, Isaiah Thomas, who also went to St. Joseph's and went on to become a legend in the pros. In everybody's neighborhood, there's a guy who can really play. She's the light type. Every time down court. Then he goes to St. Joseph High School, and the guy gets cut. Say, Tom was real good. Why did he get cut? See, Tom did learn the fundamentals of team basketball, which is what you're learning how to play. The other subject of the film is another talented young man, William Gates, who is also recruited by St. Joseph's and gets lots of offers when he becomes a high school All-American. Any school you name. Hoop Dreams is one of those rare film experiences where you simply forget yourself and sit there totally involved in the incredible drama of what's happening. You may think you don't want to see a film about the inner city or about basketball, or you don't want to see a three-hour documentary about anything. But please forget those preconceptions. Hoop Dreams is a great film, and you owe it to yourself to see it. Oh, I think it's wonderful, as we've talked about uh, earlier this year. And what I love is, and we must remember, the filmmakers who yeah. had this idea. And I love when filmmakers have the courage to say, you know what? We're going to spend a whole bunch of time 
tracking people's lives. Mm -hmm. Here we're following kids for six years, and of course their lives are and what's, full of drama. What's remarkable, they started out to make a 30-minute documentary about these eighth graders, and yes. they realized, no, we're stuck with these guys for the long run, and they made 250 hours of film yes. about these two kids, and the result of that is they have all of these incredibly dramatic moments, and there are twists I'm in this story that no. if they were in a fiction film, you'd say, that's too incredible. It's just, it's an exhilarating and, experience. And, and the bottom line is that you want, I, I, when I saw this picture and we, we take them up to college first year. Yes, we do. I had one thought, and people are going to have the same thought. I wonder how they're playing now. I wonder what they're no. doing now. And, and you know what I found out? They're both still in college. Wow. All right. So. He said, reliable sources said members of the Academy's Documentary Nomination Committee had a system in which they would wave a flashlight on the screen when they gave up on the film. When the majority of the lights flashed, the film was turned off. Hoop mm. Dreams only made it 20 minutes. Okay? So, in response to the controversy, Bruce Davis, who is the executive director of the Academy, asked the accounting firm Pricewaterhouse to turn over the voting results in which each voter had given a rating from 0 to 10 to each documentary. According to Davis, a small group of members gave zeros to every single film except the five they wanted to see nominated. And they gave 10s to those five, which completely skewed the voting. Yeah. There was one film that receives more scores of 10 than any others, but it was not nominated. It also got zeros from those few voters, and that was enough to push it to sixth place. So... This is the background on Hoop Dream. So to start off, before you get into it, this is a movie I saw in the theaters. It came out when I was 15. This is when I was first kind of getting into independent film. Like this was yeah. kind of a, the, the time. Uh, this is around the time that like Reservoir Dogs came out. Like same idea. So it was a movie that, of course, you know, loved basketball since I was a kid. So it's like, oh, you know, it's a documentary about kids who have dreams of playing in the NBA. I'll watch that, not realizing that it was a three-hour-long movie. But it's so good that, like, when you told me it's so long, I had forgotten that it was a long movie. Like, it's just, like, for me, it's just, like, an enjoyable sit. Like, I'm just like, I want to follow these kids as they go. Like, this is really interesting to watch. So, Derek... Now that I've let it up with like, oh, Siskel Newbert say it's the greatest movie of all time. It should have won Oscars. What did you think when you finally sat down to watch Hoop Dreams after intense pressure from your friend <laughs> who loves you, who wants good things for you? Maybe. <laughs> Yet to be seen. Allegedly, they say. You know, I... And I, I just, honestly, I watched this last night um, with my wife, and I told her going into it, I said, this is a film that um, most of my friends have seen. Um, they've given me a really hard time about not watching it. I have intended to watch it. Since. Wait, who's, other than me, who's given you a hard time? Because I know I have. But um, <laughs> a friend of the show, uh, Michael D. Okay. Deniston, him. Okay, no, that no, makes he, sense. He's, he's but he sees everything. He, yeah, well, you both do, and it, <laughs> and uh, it makes it really hard to enjoy anything because you know, already have a take about everything. I'm just waiting. Just, you're just wa just waiting, in lying in wait, just yes, jump. Right. Yes, um, I had put this actually uh, on the first 
streaming queue of Netflix when I was in college. Like the very first time we, we moved oh, digitally. Uh, which, you know, to you, you're like, oh gosh, that was still not that long ago. But to, you know, probably half of our listeners, they're like, oh was, my gosh. I wasn't you. even born yet. 2005, yes. my God, or 2007, whatever it was. And uh, it, I mean, that's the, still it, damn near 20 years. And you exactly, didn't right? It, so this has been on my queue for, to your point, 17, 18 years now. And so I had I had heard about it. I had read about it, but not too much because, right. th- you know, this idea that this is one of the great documentaries of all time, uh, you know, like, um, what is it, like Thin Blue Line and some, and some of the uh, Harlan County, USA. When We the, Were Kings. You know. When We Were Kings, exactly. Like some of these great documentaries of the past 20 or 30 years, but I didn't want it ruined, right? Uh, sure. Going into it, here's the funny thing. I had, and I don't know how I had this, in my mind I had uh, a belief that, uh, one, it was about one person, one kid. So I didn't know that it was about Arthur and William. And two, I knew that it it didn't end well, and for some reason I had talked myself into the idea that it had to have ended tragically, and that so Uh this one kid ends up dying. like this. So the entire film... I mean, it's not exactly an up movie, but wow, it's, you made it a lot worse. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, but you're right. Like, it's already a pretty, I mean, depressing. Yeah. I mean, it's a downer all the way through, and it's still riveting. But in my mind, I was expecting, even from, even in like the second act and towards the end of the second act, I was like, man, this is going to kill my wife when both these kids end up dead <laughs> or, or in jail or whatever. Or in jail. Yeah. I honestly believe that I, you know, because I'd never looked up William. Gates uh, or Arthur Ashe's character, like ever. And I remember my wife just kept saying, <laughs> "That is the funniest slip." Arthur, Arthur Ag, yeah, A-G. some other, Arthur some Ashe. other, some oh other black God. athlete. Whatever. <laughs> Thank God you're Arthur black. Because if I had made that mistake, ooh. yes, Arthur Ag, yes, <laughs> Arthur. Ashe. Oh God, what? A- so uh, Art and Will. Um, <laughs> that's easier to remember. Why not say full names? She kept saying, I don't recall uh, them being in the NBA. Yeah. She, and I looked at her and I said, do you know who Mitch Richmond is? And she goes, no. I said, well, he played in the 90s. So you don't have – just because right. you don't know them, that – I mean, you that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I did yeah, – I, I was like, oh, but I still don't want her to, to sniff around and find out they're dead before we get to the end <laughs> when they're dead. Stay um, off your phone. Stay off your phone. Don't you dare. <laughs> this was probably one of the heavier documentaries I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, it, I, mean, I, I, and I don't feel like I'm overstating that at oh. all. Um, and I honestly, it reminds me of the mirror episode where you, you, I was getting on us. Like, I don't know what to say in a different way. Like, it's not that like, intellectually I can't wrap my head around it. It's that I feel like it, I'm still sitting on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely one of those movies that kind of takes a while to percolate in your mind because yeah. it's about so much. Like, you walk into this thing and like, oh, it's a documentary about basketball. I like basketball. This is going to be great. But it's a documentary about basketball. It's a documentary about race. It's a yes. documentary about poverty. It's a documentary about the education system and the imbalances therein. It's, you know, it's it's about power. Like, it is about a lot. Exploitation. A yeah. lot of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a character who's like kind of the, the scout who finds Arthur. And you can kind of, as he's talking later in the film about, like, am I doing these kids a service mm-hmm. or am I putting them in a position that is worse? And he says, basically all I can do 
is try to do the right thing in the moment. I don't know if it's right. Yeah. It feels right, but maybe it's not. And, you know, you can think about this in a lot of ways. Like, yeah, spoiler alert, neither of these kids makes it to the NBA. But in a lot of ways, basketball probably saved these kids' lives. Right. Right? Yeah. It got them to college. <laughs> it got them, you know, got their families taken care of. And actually, a little bit of background. There's a whole sequence where Arthur's family has their lights shut off because they can't they can't pay. And actually, I found out Steve James uh, and his team actually gave them money to turn the lights back on. Interesting. Like, Interesting. they took it out yeah. of their own pockets and were like, here. <laughs> like, you cannot survive like this. And, and I guess the AG family was very grateful not only for that, but that they kept – they kept up with them even after he was kicked out of St. Joe's, like the fancy private school, even after he was forced to leave. They thought, well, the camera crew is going to disappear now. They're not going to be interested in this kid playing in a, some public school. But that wasn't the case. Like they actually like we have to follow this as far as it goes. And it's crazy that this was originally going to be like a 30 minute short on PBS. Would, and then would, had, would you have had any interest in 30 minutes of this? No, no. It, it doesn't. It, you can't. You absolutely cannot wrap your head around everything that's going on. I guess the original cut, the first cut of this movie, is 10 hours long. They have so much footage. And then the second cut is six hours. So this is trim. This is like 30% of what they had, which is crazy. This is the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, you know, I think sometimes, and speaking for myself as a white NBA fan, there are moments where you're, you know, you're watching these incredibly talented players, a peak of their primes, right? And let's be honest, what's the league? Eighty percent black? I think it late. Well, probably around that, especially with the European explosion. It's right. Probably, it's probably I would have said like ninety. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, it is. It's a challenge to think about where all these players came from and what they've done to get to where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think most, especially white sports fans don't want to think about that. No, because they see this as gladiatorial combat and entertain me. And if you ever have a moment where you slip up, fuck you. If you get injured, fuck you. And watching, especially William go through all these injuries and seeing what high school coaches and schools put these kids through mm-hmm. like get your knee scope get surgery come back early like there's a it's you're it's, not running hard enough right well, let me know if right. your knee's hurting yeah if, if you can't run, run you shouldn't harder. be out there so that's on exactly. you and this kid is 15 yeah like <laughs> i didn't know anything when i was 15 and they're expecting this kid to make decisions that are going to affect the rest of his livelihood for the rest of his life at the mm-hmm. age of 15 and watching this watching every time he got injured Everything in you, and I'm not a parent, so I don't know how much worse this must have been for you to watch, um, and especially the parent of a black child, but I'm watching it going like, I just want to protect this kid. Yeah. Like, you, even if you've never seen this movie, you know how this ends. This kid I, has ligament damage at 14 years old, and we are pushing him to get this fixed and get your ass back on the court because we got to get to state. And it's just like, it is horrific to watch. And high school coaches, especially in underprivileged neighborhoods, become, in a lot of ways, secondary father figures. Or in some in some cases, mm-hmm. primary, primary father yeah. figures. And to have your adopted father treat you like this, treat you like a piece of meat, like you are only worth it if you can be on the court 
that tells that kid everything he needs to know and mm-hmm. how awful and it it was like legitimately hard to watch even though i'd seen it before i was just like man fuck all these people these kids do not deserve this kind of treatment from some from their actual family like arthur's dad um who's yeah. like in and out and like you know beating up his mom and you know, using drugs, going to jail, coming back, you know, playing the part of the religious father and then falling back and leaving again. Like this kid has no structure, no stability in his life. And you can really see it late in the movie when there's a one on one game between him and his dad. And it gets intense. It gets right? intense. Like, fuck mm-hmm. you. Like, uh, make it yeah. rain. Watch. My, like, wife, my wife said, this is uncomfortable. And I said, there's a part of this culturally that I can relate to from the perspective of uh, I I am not offended by the way they're going at each other. But at the same time, I also am aware that if they're not careful, right, the residue, the actual feelings will pop out. And that's that's when you have a problem. And she said, well, where's the line? I said, sometimes you don't know where it is. All it would have taken would have been for Arthur to have said one thing that clicked and hit his dad a little differently. And now it's, oh, no, I'm not fucking with you. Like, this wasn't a joke, right? Now I'm in your face. And it's all the residual stuff that Arthur had, probably moments in which he tried to protect his mother from his dad high as hell walking in and like right. and not being able to do anything about that. And it's so interesting when you look at the lack of support that they had even within their family, right, which allows for them to have greater opportunity to be exploited at this school uh, three hours away uh, both ways. And the reality that the like the moms, especially Arthur's mom, that I think we see a lot more of of right. who she is and her character, like she's she's stuck, right? Like she's doing legitimately the best that she can right. under those particular circumstances and trying to be there for her son, and knowing that it's a losing battle unless he makes it to the NBA, right? How right. ridiculous! We know the odds are. Less than 5%, less than 3%. Astronomical. Insane. But you are born into a situation And that's if everything goes right. The the chances, even if you don't get injured and you don't get kicked out of school. And by the way, I'll let you get back to this point in a second. The thing that like boggled my mind the most this time as someone who has dealt with schools and worked in schools before, this whole thing where they like wouldn't release his records unless they Mm. got their fucking mind. I was like – I want to kill everyone at that school. Like, I was just like, this is monstrous. They're like, well, if you pay us for the two months, uh, then uh, then we'll let you graduate at another school. We'll... Right. Those are his records. The fact that they held that, like, I was just like, this has to be illegal. Like, this has to be against the law. And I deeply hope it is by now. But watching this, you know, however, like, what is this? Like, almost 30 years later, I was yeah. just like in awe of what was happening in the worst way. Well, and the fact that it was, and again, I agree with you, but the fact that it was what thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars, and over a, a number of months, they, it was, it was still out of reach for them. Right. You know what I mean? Like they, right. they did not have the means to be able to. And and here's the the, the the unfortunate situation. And again, I think if you took someone who has no like invest invested interest in understanding like the tale of two Americas that we essentially have here. Yeah. Uh, and, and they would watch this and say, Oh, well in a vacuum, this is a really difficult situation for these two kids. I feel so bad for them, but they don't understand contextually like that. This is a systemic issue. Right. Here's what right. you have. If you're either one of them, you don't, your parents don't even generate enough money to, to get your records. 
But the right. people that do have money are the ones that are on the corner selling dope, right? Yep. Am I that old? I would say that. selling dope, slinging dope. Look, look uh, as as someone who works in this field, that term is still used, so you're oh, fine. Cool. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the term "the dope man" still come up. That's because it's just so. now trickling to Kentucky, like his yes. hair in 2001. <laughs> it's true. It's just it's not true. getting here. Yes, yes. It took 30 years, but we finally got dope in Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> Uh, have you heard of this uh, new group called NWA sweeping the nation? They're just now here. Uh, you are you you have really no other outlet, like no other. Ca- I see this guy, and he can afford nice cars, and he can uh, give me a little money on the side. I see my dad at home who can't even afford to get my records, right? Or right. we don't have lights, or we don't have X, Y, and Z. It. It goes against that idea of like the culture of poverty. It's not the culture, right? It's in the person and environment. They are legitimately yep. thrown out, cast away with no support whatsoever. Right. Um, and so you're right. Like it's, you could look at this film in so many ways as like, well, man, what a bummer. They didn't make it to the NBA, but nope, it's not. A, it's a, it's, it's a looking at success in the lens of the context of their lives. They right. have a successful story. This is actually a successful story, but it, um, it's also just fucking sad. Like at yeah. the same, it, like literally, both are true. It's it's sad that they have to do these things, yeah, to have an opportunity to get out of the situation, and that everything hinges on a knee for right. William, or everything hinges on. Hopefully, uh, Art makes it home and doesn't hear about his dad ODing on the street. Like it is seriously, seriously, yeah. it. It's a really interesting arc to a movie, and it's one of the reasons I'm actually glad it's it has such a long runtime because it really is two movies to me. Yeah, it is. The first half is like, man, I hope these kids, you know, ball out, make it to the NBA. This is going to be great. Like, we're going to watch them rise to prominence. Like, if we had had a a documentary about LeBron James, right, when he was in grammar school, like we see him rise all the way to the top. That would be amazing. And then when you have the injury. But then you have all the stuff in Arthur's home. You're like, please, God, just let these kids live. Just yeah. let these kids make it out by any by any means necessary. Get them out of this situation because they're both in really bad situations. Like Arthur's got the whole thing with his dad and the lights getting shut off. And then William's got the whole thing, you know, with his brother, which yeah. is really yeah. disturbing. Just kind of like I didn't get mine, so you have to get yours. But Everything even Art, is on Art's your shoulder. dad also mentioned something Same very deal. similarly to that. I and didn't get I- state – so maybe I can get state through him. And I was like, are you hearing yourself? Oh, my God. See, now, here's the funny thing. Me and my this wife, kid is 16. He's we 16. We got into an argument about this, my wife and I, because she said the exact same thing you said. She's like, it's selfish. And I said, it is selfish. Yes. And I completely agree with it. And I probably wouldn't have said that if I were in – but I don't know. I mean, if I was on I, camera? I, no. If I were on camera, no. <laughs> and then I – but the, the idea of him – and again, this isn't absolving the statement at all, but from the time that kid was born, uh, because men are so nostalgic anyway, the dad just looked at him and said, that's me again. That's me 2.0. Uh, and I, and the brother was the same way. It's like, I can't do these things. So it is every, everything that I have, every bit of knowledge I have, I want him to have it and just to do better with it. Right. Uh, and it's an unfair expectation. It's a burden. It's, it is the same as uh, being the son. Like you mentioned LeBron James. It's being Bronny Jr., Right, right? It, right. Is, it is the burden of of success, even if it's minimal success for them in their particular situation. That burden of well, you got to do it better. 
You've got right. to do it better. We've give, we're, we're giving you every bit of wisdom and knowledge and sage advice. You have to utilize this because I have to, I have to get to live it one more time. And that's right. the closest I'll ever get to it. And it, it's completely unfair. And I think the problem that I had for, for me in, in the discussion I had with my wife was that I understood it. Like, oh, I, yeah. I completely understood it. I, I, I do think it was wrong. But there, well, it's, I, a, it's a twisted version of the American dream, right? Every yeah. parent that you will ever meet will say, I just want my kid to do better than I did. I want right. him or her to have more advantages than I did, and I want them to succeed. And that's right. where this comes from. But it gets all twisted up, and it's just like – I didn't get mine and I need mm-hmm. you to get yours because that means by some transitive property, I got it. I yeah. succeeded. I'm not a failure. So now this kid's success is not only I have to succeed myself, but I have to pull my family that has been beaten down mm-hmm. by life, by societal structures, by lack of privilege, by money, all these things. I have to pull them up on my back. Or on my bum knee, in the case of one of these kids. And I have to drag us all to the finish line. So every single member of my family, their success is on my shoulders. And I'm 15. I just can't get over that piece of it. I think there's a scene where they all go to the basketball camp. um, And some of these scouts, like, you're just like, wow, you're a fucking monster. Where you're Mm -hmm. like, look, look, they got NBA bodies already. So they start treating them like... It's like cheap side. Uh, about 200 years ago. Right. That's that's exactly, right. that's what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, whether, so the, so they start treating yeah. they start treating these 15-year-olds like they're 25. Mm-hmm. Like and it's like these are kids. These are kids having their first relationships in some case their first children in secret, right? Their most important friendships, they're figuring out their brain is not done being built. Right yet like not even fucking close and so you're asking them to make these decisions for their families for themselves that are going to legitimately put their life and limb at risk and you're like well it's up to you kid what do you how much do do you want it right right and it's always parsed in that way where like will you give it up for your team are you a man and it's just like oh god you fucking monsters like I love sports. I love watching professional sports, but the systems around it are truly, truly disturbing to me. Um, yeah. And this is it, these. This has such great examples of that. Well, and I think because it can all be uh, explained away by just saying the the tough love. Eh, there you go. The tough love or these these expressions of pull yourself up, be a man, tough it out. Uh, you'll appreciate when you get older and you see why I put you in that particular place. Yeah, the coach even says that. The coach even says that. When you were being punished, someday you'll know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you use that as your argument every single time, right, like there's no rebuttal. Right. I I can't refute you telling me that 20 years from now, I'll agree. Right. Right. Especially if, if if I'm Art or if I'm Will, you telling me that I'm like, well, maybe he's right. He is older. He's gotten right. me this far. I have to concede to the authority of his age, right? Right. And, and it, his experience, right? His experience. Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas. Isaac, man, I've never seen someone get more out of like, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, golly, one or a handful of years of coaching Isaiah, not in college, yeah, right? in, in high, high school. school. Yeah. And he's he coasted off of uh, that for 
another foot uh, that would have been like 15 years later yeah. or something yeah. uh, of that nature yeah. and it was well i got to coach isaiah thomas and if you want to be isaiah thomas right it's an effort thing it's not a me thing it's not that i'm behind the times it's not that i have these uh uh archaic rules about you showing up late even though you know you're a father at like you said at, at <laughs> right. 17 years of age you're relying on someone else to get you to the game i'm gonna hold you out and then when we don't win it's still your fault it's on you. Yeah, it's on absolutely. You. So um, yeah. so that Isaiah Thomas bit, it's to me, is the most heartbreaking part of the movie as you see these kids age. Like you look at Arthur's face when he gets to meet his idol. Yeah. And you're like, that kid is the happiest kid, the most beautiful, bright face you will ever see on screen. And then you fast forward to when he's being put in these bad situations and in a school where they're not being given money and the teachers are overrun, you know, and they can't possibly do anything to teach these kids because of the system they're in. And you see how much that kid has changed by the time he gets like jumped and has his stuff stolen, afraid he's going to get shot. Like that's that's a different kid. That's yeah. that's, a, that's a, a completely different person. And it is heartbreaking because you just want to go back to that moment. Where he meets his idol and protect that kid by any means you can. But there are no means for that family to protect that child. There just aren't, right? You want to talk – like anyone who argues against privilege based on skin color and money, I just – like just look at this. What do you expect them to do? There's nothing that can be done. They don't have enough money to keep their lights on. We're not talking about buying nice clothes. We're not talking about getting your records, you know, like, you know, paying for things for their kid. Just being able to buy food and pay for electricity. That's where they're at, right? And until you can live that and you can understand that, you don't get to judge that family. You don't get to judge even Arthur's dad, Bo, for using substances. Yep. He's trapped. Yeah. He's trapped in a world where. What do you do? I, that, I, again, this, these were the things we we because I I said from his from his vantage point, you are especially with the idea of masculinity and protecting your family being of even greater importance within black communities and sure. historically always has been because it's been that ability to do so was stripped away from you. Uh, during slavery, right? And so right. to be a black man means all of those things intensified. Mm-hmm. And so he is a black male who can't provide for his family, can't maintain um, a job, doesn't have a high education. Uh, and he sees everything else around him as a failure. I'd want to get high too. Right. I, I'll, I'll say this to make it a lot harder for me to say no, mm-hmm. right? And yep. I would want to escape that reality and that responsibility and that burden and that sense of failure and pain. Every right. single moment of every day. Right. And then when you compare these kids to, and it's, it's funny because you see like uh, uh, when they go to that camp, you see a young Jalen Rose there. I think a young Chris Weber's there. Jawan Howard. Howard. Yep. Yeah. So you compare those kids to Christian Leitner and you see why that sense and that feeling and that disdain for Duke and that disdain for everything that Christian Leitner is. And it also kind of explains why even players that are beloved in the present, especially by like white Americans, especially by white Americans, like in you know, a Steph Curry, didn't get the love from the league 
for a decade. It wasn't until like a year or two ago where you start to see all the other players embrace him, but there was always this weird sense of like, he didn't have to pull it out of the mud like we did. Right. His dad played in the NBA. His dad was rich. It's a different experience completely. Completely. Whereas so many of the other players, you hear the same story about LeBron and a single mother and living in the projects in Akron Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Their stories are these kids' stories and they made it out and they made it to the league. And then you see Steph Curry come in and people are like, well, he's so beloved and he's articulate and he's so nice and he's mm. manicured. Always a, got- always a code word with uh, he speaks so well. Like, oh, yes. oh. <laughs> I've, I've, when I tell you, I've actually had conversations with people. Uh, I'll, I'll not mention race. But white people. They were white people. Uh, yeah, you could just uh, say it. That, uh, that would, that, that I, this was a legitimate discussion not that long ago. Um, and I wasn't really, in, like, I wasn't talking to them, but it was in my office, and I heard them talking about why they don't like the NBA. Right. And it was the same code words you always hear. These players are so smug, and they're cocky, and they just want to, it's just me, me, me. It's one-on-one. And, and except, and, they, and I, I, I kid you not, I heard this. Except for Steph Curry, he seems like such a, a nice uh, guy, and he's a family man, and he loves You know they the wanted to say he seems like a nice boy. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and he <laughs> seems closer to, like, why? And I even heard them say, you know, he's not cocky. Like that LeBron James. And I'm sitting here, and I kid you not, I said, As a, so as a Warriors watch. fan, what? <laughs> he is one of the cockiest players ever, right? As he but should he be. doesn't present <laughs> like everything yeah. that, that pushed white America away from the NBA in the Allen Iverson age. That's what scared them so much. Uh, yeah. They left. So, in white so let, me in a, let me ask you a question. If Steph was darker skinned, do you think there would be a difference in how he was received, uh, received by white America. Um, I think that it's all on a spectrum when it comes to that. Right. Sure. So, because Michael Jordan was beloved regardless yeah. and he was, he's black, black. Yeah. Actually, and, and talked a lot of shit and, and talked a lot but of shit, backed right? it up. <laughs> right. But was not confrontational, but about the particular things that tend to make white Americans uncomfortable. Oh, it's right? true. Yeah, it, I'm not wearing my what, what blackness. Was, I'm not wearing it. What was the quote? Right? What was the quote? Like Republicans, Republicans wear sneakers, they buy yeah. buy sneakers too. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> not great. Not great. <laughs> Where, but you know, Steph is going to say the right things in a press conference, right? Yeah, he's always. not going to say, you know, I did the damn thing out there and I made it happen. Right. So that doesn't make and, LeBron says it, and, and he's not going to drop the N word. He's not going to curse. Right. He's not right. Yeah, absolutely. He's he is, he's so he's light. He's as we would say, he's a light bright. Uh, he's high yellow, <laughs> but he's not confrontational. He doesn't. He's non-threatening. Yes, he's yes. a non-threatening black person, and that's why they're okay with that. Yeah. LeBron James is a threatening blackmail to them because right. he is. In your face about his blackness, right? And they, and that's not okay. And, and also, even yeah. in comparison to other people in the NBA, a threatening physical specimen, right? Like Steph is like one of the little guys in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I think that probably helps him too. David versus Goliath, like sure. that that whole sure. bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this movie. I mean, it's it's fucking great. It's it's maybe it's got to be. To me, it's like one of the top two documentaries I've ever seen. It's this and When We Were Kings. Those are the that's that's the start of the Mount Rushmore. Like that's mm. I, it's incredible. What about it, the Nick of the North? You ever seen that? It's, uh, 
No one's ever seen that. Shut up. <laughs> I, I, you know I've what? Seen it. You know what? I've I seen actually, it before I saw Hoop Dreams. <laughs> I actually looked this up because Tessa was asking me, like, you know, I, I feel like documentary is a pretty new format. Like, yeah. what was the first? And that was one of them, but it's kind of a documentary, kind of not. Like, it's yeah. a little staged, but... Nanook of the North. On the list of things, <laughs> what a deep pool. On the list of things that were going to be mentioned on a Hoop Dreams episode, that was not on my fucking bingo card. Was, <laughs> now, we'll say, let me say that, because I, I know we're about out of time. In watching the, because I thought that they, something really, really tragic, like, you know, uh, William died yesterday. I thought that's right. how the film was going to end. There was a little bit of like a, let down with the third act, mm. and it was only because you had that of, in your head. Yes, and yeah. and so, and I don't place that on the film. I think the other thing, and I had to really pause and reflect on it. I have seen so many documentaries now right. that I think I would appreciate. I would have appreciated this film so much more pre thirty for thirty. Yes, right, yes, like one hundred percent. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's yeah. and, and so I mean, I, and I think you yeah. could draw a direct line from Hoop Dreams absolutely to the success of something like Thirty for Thirty on ESPN. Absolutely, yeah. it, it, it's like not to mention the comic book stuff, but it's like Batman eighty nine leading to the MCU. Oh, yeah, you don't absolutely. think that there's a connection, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's a great, a great Thank film. I, I, I'm trying. You're welcome. To You're welcome. Oh, boy. <laughs> Thank. Thank you, Watt Day, for bringing me hoop dreams <laughs> and let me tap into. I'm just here my to self. guide you to guide you to what you know you should right. love. My, my white savior, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> that's me. Well, you're I Italian. Yeah, yeah, that's, fine. Yeah, that's in different. Be- in between, it's that's fine. a different white. Not white, white. I'm that's a little. Like, that's spicy white, right I'm there. Not, I'm not German, so we're <laughs> fine. <laughs> Jared, I gotta make over sure his grave. Yes. <laughs> so, Derek, what are you going to pick for oh, no. me to watch next in a couple weeks? Well, another um, great movie. <clears throat> Let me zoom in on this. I took a picture of it, Dave. I, I swear, oh. I was prepared. Yeah, sure. What is this? <laughs> what is this? Guess who's coming I... to dinner? That's the one. Okay. Okay. Guess who's coming on. to dinner? Yep. Going for more uh yes. movies about race. We're yes. Gonna, we're gonna Bring get it into it. Well, it felt it felt appropriate. Wait, I don't know if our listeners are aware if we give uh if we self disclose in that regard, Dave's getting married soon. Yeah, yeah I did it. That's I true. don't care. It's now, true. Let it out. I'm sorry, all you people that were hoping to just tap that. But yeah, you're, Dave's you, gone. you missed your shot. You missed your shot. I'm off the market forever. So yes. I wanted to do a movie about people that are uh, en route to uh, okay. be wed. And that was – so the race component, I didn't – I don't see race, Dave, you see? Oh, so I just oh, thought – Are you is... sure you're the black one on this podcast? Like, <laughs> you just bring it out to I take my colorblind approach. <laughs> people are people. Haven't you heard oh, the song Lord. about it? What did you have for me? Oh, I don't know. I have a thousand. Let's see. Gasp. Gasp. Let's see what we got. Um, got an open letterbox. I got a fucking... Are you kidding? The, you you remember, texted me about yeah. being prepared. Yeah, because hmm. you never are. That's... <laughs> that is both fair and unfair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's Derek. Open up your list, of which you have almost none. So that's good. Oh, you, 
You know what we're going to watch? We're going to continue oh, no. this theme. We're going to watch Intolerance. Oh, no. DW really? Intolerance. Oh, God. Yes, yes. And it's oh, a movie great. I've never seen either. 12 but, hours. I'm wait, sure. is, is that one really long? Hold well, on. I think, I'm going to take this back. Pretty long, like uh, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. It's, it's 197 minutes. We're not. We're not fucking playing that game. No, absolutely fucking not. Um, everything on here. Birth of a Nation Part Two. There we go. Oh, you know what we're gonna do? Because I now own this movie on Criterion. We're gonna watch Sweet Sweet Backs. Badass oh, song. Okay, that, that's what we're gonna watch. I just got the Melvin Bed People set. Yeah, uh, on Criterion. Is that Mario's so. son. Or father? Yeah, Mario's father. Father, father. Yeah, yes. there we go. Sure is, sure is. Gosh, so been fucking up all day, Arthur It Ash. is. That is a movie I have not seen um, probably since I was about 16. So that's going to be like watching a brand new movie and probably be do, really do you offensive. you watch it opening weekend at 16 days? <laughs> that, I'm not that old. No, no, absolutely not. I watched it in secret uh, as anyone would. That was like, we'll talk about it, but I was like way into like my exploitation phase when I watched oh, that movie, okay. so, so yeah, so we'll, that we'll was just perfect to be my friend. Back. That's right, I was ready, <laughs> like our friend Jared. When I, I find one one day, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I connect. I with was everyone. raised in an area with black people in it. Up I'm next, coffee. The <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Why isn't that on your list? I'm sure you've seen that. I've one. I've seen that one. All right, so next time we are gonna watch. Guess who's coming to dinner? So stay tuned for that. Uh, follow us on Letterboxd if you dare uh, to see our terrible, terrible reviews. Uh, and yeah, we'll talk to you more about race in America. Bye.